Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are worthy of our praise and us being able to sing of your goodness. God, you are, you are the God of this world. You are the God of heaven and of earth. You are the God of our worship. You are the God who loves us. You are the God of love. You're the God of the Sabbath. You're the God of salvation. You're the God of heaven. You're the God of earth. Lord, today we worship you through your word. We worship you through praise. Uh, No matter where that is, whether that's in our own living rooms or here at the church, it does not matter. What matters is that you are still God and you are still good. That is the eternal answer to every eternal question that we have. And today, God, we get the privilege of being able to open up your word and see what you have to say to us. So, Lord, I pray that right now that your Holy Spirit would move, God, in our hearts. It doesn't matter where we physically stand. I pray that we would just remember that we are in your presence right now. So, Lord, speak, and may our hearts be open, and may our ears be tuned into what you have to say to us today. And you would receive glory, Father, as our lives are transformed by this powerful word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so welcome once again to the online version of Simple Church. Um, things are different in our world. Things are different everywhere around us right now. And uh, I have things that kind of stick out in my mind and things that, that jump out to me as I'm looking around. And one of the things that I see in our world today is a lack of personal responsibility Um, I think that from the time we are young, we look at the things we have and we are nurtured by our parents, we are cared for by our parents, they take care of our every need, the food, the house that we live in, they they take care of us in so many ways. And as we grow, um, we kind of, I think in in a certain way, especially in this country that we live, we have a sense of entitlement that I've talked about many times before. But when something goes wrong in particular... We look for somebody else to blame. We look for, it must be somebody else's fault, whether it's a politician or a pastor or a parent or somebody, it must be somebody else's fault that something has gone wrong, that there, there must be somebody that, that can be held accountable to the fact that things are not going the way that I expected them to. Um, this is something that I deal with myself. And I have to look at myself and examine myself in light of this. And it's, so often I find that I, I'm pointing the finger at everybody else and not looking introspectively at myself and seeing what I have going on in my own heart, what it is that I have done. Maybe I have uh, caused this to happen. Maybe I haven't caused this to happen. Maybe it's just the course of life. But I oftentimes want to shuck responsibility and put that responsibility on someone else. And this is something I've been talking with my friends about a good bit lately and It's just something that God has kind of shown me over and over again in my own life, how I have to take responsibility, personal responsibility for things as opposed to pointing at someone else because the struggle comes when bad things happen and difficult situations come in life and there's obviously no one to point the finger at for why this is happening, the virus being one of those situations, then we begin to struggle internally. Well, if there's no one to blame, then what's really going on? I thought that every situation there must be somebody to blame, and a lot of people want to blame the Chinese and because it originated in China. I can tell you that 
Had it not originated in China, there would have been some pandemic that would have originated somewhere else as well, even if it hadn't started in China. When difficult things happen in our life and there's no one to blame, we get a little bit confused in our mind and in our heart because we're so used to being able to blame somebody. Right now, where we are in the church is that everyone's having to take personal responsibility for their faith, for continuing their growth spiritually, for continuing their worship. They're having to take personal responsibility for that. There's a little bit of accountability held in the fact that we meet in a church building week to week. And people, if you're not there, people wonder where you are and you think, well, I'm not expected to, if I'm expected to be there, people will wonder where I am if I'm not there. And there's a little bit of accountability associated with that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I think that is a good thing. But I also think that right now the place that we're in is people are having to decide for themselves, will I get up early and watch and participate in the church service? We're having to take some personal responsibility for what it is and how we live our lives. I know that as I was growing up, one of the ways that I used to shuck responsibility and point the finger a lot of times was at my siblings. Um, that was just a natural course of things. They were the person, people closest to me, and they're the ones that did the most wrong, so it was easy to point the blame at them. I'm kidding, of course. Most of the problem was with me. I can remember a particular situation that kind of is one of those stories that lives in infamy in my household. Um, and this is a, conversa a situation between my sister and myself. Uh, I was somewhere around nine years old, I think it was, and we used to play Monopoly often. I don't know why. Um, that game is one that lasts for four hours at a minimum. Um, but we used to play Monopoly, and uh, I used to cheat all the time, and uh, this one particular time that I was playing Monopoly, I'd actually gotten, as I got older, I kind of learned how to play Monopoly in such a way that I could win without cheating. This one particular time I was playing without cheating, and my sister accused me of cheating because I was winning, which she continued to do even as we got much, much older. Um, but she accused me of cheating, and we had an argument. I know that sounds strange that a brother and sister would have an argument over a board game, but it does happen. Um, and I lost my temper. That doesn't happen with Kenny very much, but it does happen uh, Nine-year-old Kenny took the dice from Monopoly game and threw it at my sister. Okay, that was, you know, approximately 31 years ago, and my sister still brings this up to me today, uh, that I had gotten out of control and threw the dice at her, and she still kind of holds that against me. Um, God is gracious, but apparently my sister is not. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, of course. But I, I say all that to say that... that um, you know, that was a situation where I was blaming someone else, and, and really what I needed to do is just continue to play the game and not point the finger at somebody else, that I have a choice as how I respond when somebody accuses me of something. I have a choice to my own actions. I, I don't have to go with whatever my gut feeling is. I, I have a choice about what it is that I do. I have personal responsibility. Um, it's the same thing in relationships. A lot of times there'll be a breakup. And uh, what, what is it that is always said in a breakup? It's not you, it's me, right? It's not you, it's me. Um, and what are they really saying when people say that? They're really saying, it's you, it's not me, right? That's what they're saying deep down. It, they're saying, it really is you, but I'm trying to make this a little bit easier by saying, it's not you, it's really me. I'm the one that's struggling with this relationship. And as we get older, um, we... 
Uh, oh, by the way, the relationship thing, you listen to any Taylor Swift song uh, that she's ever sang about the, one of the breakups she's had, it's always because the guy has done something wrong, right? Um, after five or six or seven or eight or ten relationships, Taylor Swift, sometimes it's just you, you know? So, just saying. As we get older, we like to blame politicians. Incidentally, the same politicians that we elect into government, uh, we don't live in a dictatorship. We actually live in a republic where we get to choose our politicians and we get to choose who represents us, and uh, as soon as we do that, and we look around and go, why is this country going downhill? And we say, it must be the politicians, the politicians that we chose, incidentally. When it comes to your relationship with God, and this is kind of what we're trying to drive at today, when it comes to your relationship with God, we talked about how you're responsible right now for getting up to, to get ready to worship God, getting your heart ready on Sunday morning to get, to get in a place where, you know what, today is the Sabbath and it is the time where we're supposed, supposed to worship God. This is Sunday, which is Resurrection Day. It's why we celebrate it on Sunday. Uh, Sabbath really just means a, a day in the seven-day week where we take a break from work and we take time to worship, and that is ultimately what the Sabbath is. And you have to decide today if that will be what you do today. You'll have to wake up and decide. And some of you uh, decided that, yep, today it's the day where I'm supposed to, you know, what, take a break from work and focus on the Lord and take time to worship. And some of you did that this morning. And some of you are turning in, tuning in still asleep and half awake and wondering uh, what it is I'm saying at this point because you've already zoned out and you're probably still yawning. But the reality is, is that we have to take personal responsibility. So I wanted to point out a particular place in Scripture where Jesus talks about taking personal responsibility. And this is ultimately what the gospel boils down to. Um, in Matthew chapter 16, we hear Jesus say this to his disciples. It says in Matthew chapter 16, I'm trying not to touch my face, by the way. Sometimes it just happens inadvertently. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, these are the men that followed Jesus, these are the men that were closest to Jesus. They were there with him when he fed 4,000 people, when, he, when they fed 5,000 people, they were there. Uh, when he held, uh, healed many people, they were there. You can find both of these particular incidents right in Matthew chapter 15, probably on the same page that you're looking at. These were men that followed him around and they saw the things that he did and they were close to him. And then Jesus asked this question, and this, this is a question that I think was asking the disciples to be a bit introspective, asking them to look and see inside themselves what is really going on. He asked the question, talking about everyone else, it says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, he referred to himself as the Son of Man many times, and I think that's to reflect his connection with man, his connection as being living in this world and uh, walking around in this place and this earth that we walk around on as well. And he says, who do, the, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, he's asking about the rumors. What is the rumor? What is, what's going on? What's the word on the street and he's asking his disciples to answer this question because he's going to ramp up the question in just a minute and say, but who do you say that I am? 
In verse 14, it says, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, one of the, one of the other prophets, or one of the other prophets. So here, we see his disciples, and it doesn't say who it is that said this. I'm sure it's probably different people, different disciples responded and said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets, and and, and the indication here is, is maybe is that Jesus obviously has the power of God. He's obviously somebody who uh, has God in his, in his corner, if you will, and he's somebody that has supernatural abilities and powers that they can't exactly understand, and they associate that with being from God. And so the question then becomes, well, maybe he is somebody that is resurrected from the dead. Maybe he is somebody that has come back to life. He's one of the older prophets, or, 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 or maybe uh, he's, he's, he's one, of the, one of the older, maybe he's John the Baptist who's come back from the dead. Who, who is this person? And they say he's obviously got supernatural powers, so he must be of God. The trouble is that these people that are referenced here are people that would point to the Messiah. These are not people that could very well say, aside from John the Baptist, that Jesus was the Messiah. These are people that were just pointing to the Messiah. And even John the Baptist says, look, I am not the Messiah. I am just pointing to the Messiah. And John the Baptist said that over and over and over again. And here they say, well, maybe maybe this is John the Baptist. He's not really the Messiah. He is just one that is pointing to the Messiah. And it's like coming this short. It's just coming this short of recognizing the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has come to save the world. And even his disciples, I think, at this time are a little bit confused. I'm sure they see these supernatural powers that he has, and they, they see all these amazing things that, that he's going to, or that he has the ability to accomplish. But when they pictured the Messiah, many of them associated the Messiah as somebody that would deliver them from Roman rule. Somebody that would overthrow the government and say, you know what, we're going back to the original nation of Israel and nobody will have rule or reign over us. It will just be us and we will take care of the enemy completely and wipe them out. So I imagine that as Jesus points this out to them, that there's a little bit of doubt in their minds, even in their own minds about who Jesus really is. Is this really the Messiah? If he was the Messiah, why does he not already uh, taken all the oppression off of us? Why has he not released us from this situation? And that's the place that some people are in right now as they look at the state of the world. They say, well, if Jesus really is the Messiah, if he really is God and he loves us so much and he died for us, then why must we endure such difficulty, so much struggle, so much pain? And ultimately, ultimately the, the answer lies in the question. And the question is this. In verse 15... He asked him, says, but who do you say that I am? It gets away from what does everybody else say to what do you say? And in your life, you'll have to answer that question. And that question will have to be answered based on your faith. It can't be based on anything else. It will have to be based on your faith. You see, Jesus gives us this opportunity on on this earth to be able to answer this question. Either either he is the Messiah or he is not. He can't be close and he can't be just somebody who is of God. He has to be the Savior. He has to be the Messiah, the one that God sent to rescue us all. 
And he gives us this great opportunity to answer this question while we're still here on earth. Because it would be easy to answer that question once we died. It would be easy to answer that question once we're face to face with him. And then we're able to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Well, obviously you're the son of God. You're standing here before me and I have already passed from this life to the next. That would be an easy time to answer that question. Because you would have evidence of it standing right in front of you. But your declaration of who Jesus is must be done on the basis of faith. Seeing beyond what you can see right now. It has to be done from the heart. And if the heart does not acknowledge that he is the Messiah right now, it wouldn't even matter if you were standing face to face with him, you would not acknowledge that he is the Messiah then. And that's why Jesus over and over again talks about the heart. I think that when some people look at their lives and their relationship with Christ or their lack thereof, they want to blame other people. Well, you see, I wasn't raised in church. It's one of the things that you hear a lot of times. I wasn't raised in an environment where, you know, I could, I could hear about church. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't around godly parents. Or um, they will say that I, I'm not married to a godly spouse. They will take everything that is pointed at themselves and try to reflect that and point it at everything else in the world where here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. It's because I knew this pastor one time, and he did this, this, and this, and he really let me down. Therefore, because he did that, it just damaged my relationship with God. I was really close to this youth pastor one time, and then he got accused of something, and then he got kicked out of the church, and I never went back once he left because I really loved that youth pastor. So you can do everything in the world to deflect the question that, that Jesus is asking here. You can do everything in the world to point at different reasons. Well, you know, my pastor hurt my feelings in this way, or he didn't come to visit me in the hospital when I felt like he should, or sometimes people even, even blame their situation. Now look at the fact that they had a child die, or somebody very close to them passed away at an early age, or got really sick, or maybe they had a child that was born with some sort of disability, and they'll say, well, obviously God's not a loving God. How could I love him if he doesn't love me and allowed this to happen? People want to take anything and everything and use that to blame for their lack of their faith. And Jesus asked this question, which is the heart of the gospel. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Um, I was reading the Psalms, and, and I, I picked out two that I wanted to kind of read to you. Looking, I, And I, I feel compelled right now for some reason that God has put on my heart to read the Psalms more and uh, incorporate them more into the sermons lately. And I was reading uh, one particular Psalm that I'm going to share with you right now. As we look at our faith and we look at the responsibility we have for our own actions, the responsibility we have for our own faith, the responsibility that we have for our own sin, which so many people try to put off on somebody else or something else. In Psalm 51, I want you to hear something, and I want you to 
to hear the psalmist as these words are being spoken, hear the personal responsibility that is being taken. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out, my, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proven right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the very moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me even wisdom there. You can't blame someone else for your sin. You cannot blame someone else for the reason that you take the actions that you take. One of the things that, that I struggle with the most in, in the business world that I deal in a lot of times is the fact that um, something will happen, something bad will happen, and instead of somebody saying, raising their hand saying, it was me, I did that, and this does happen on occasion, but instead of saying, it was me, I did that, I caused this to happen, it's my fault, I take full responsibility for what's happened. So often, I get this, like, I don't know, I don't know how to happen. Or if it, ha if it happened and I w if my, the blood is on my hands, it must have been because somebody else caused this to happen, it's not my fault. I think that so many times that we look at our sin the same way. If this happened, it's because... Uh, even some religions even go so far as to say almost like the devil made me do it kind of thing. Like, oh, she has the spirit of this or he has a spirit of that. And it's like, oh, these, there's these negative spirits and we want to blame demons and every other kind of thing on the reason that we sin. And most of the time, it's just us. It's our decision. It's our responsibility. But instead of owning that, we want to take that and put it on somebody or something else. And Jesus does not allow us to do this with this question. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and, and I, I get excited about the answer that Jesus gives because I think that we, we really stick with the first part and we really love that first part. And I don't know, maybe it's not explained enough uh, what the, the second half of what Jesus is saying uh, maybe it's not explained enough for people to really get excited about what is said in the second part. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Uh, in your translation, may say Barjona. Uh, just a recognition of the fact that he calls him Simon. He doesn't call him Peter. Uh, oftentimes, uh, Jesus does this to, to recognize the humanity of who we are. And I think he's pointing that out. Blessed are you, son of John, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So what, what Jesus is saying here is that, he said, remember, Simon, that you're a man. Remember that you are Simon. Before I ever met you, you were just Simon, and that's who you were. He says, and then the Father revealed this to you, Did I skip over verse 16? Sorry. Simon answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I skipped over verse 16. 
Obviously, I make mistakes too. Simon answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Backing up. Okay, now, back to verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because my father has revealed this to you. So what he is saying here is that you are just a man and that God has revealed to you that I am the Messiah. Because Simon had just said, Simon Peter had just said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and he says that, that God has revealed this to you, Simon, Peter. How did he reveal it to him? How did he reveal to Simon Peter? I believe that what Jesus is saying here is he has revealed it to him through the person of Jesus Christ. Just like how God has revealed to you that he is the Messiah through the person of Jesus Christ, through the things that he did, the love and the compassion that he had, through the things that he taught, the things that he said, God revealed that to Simon Peter and said, and here Jesus saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. He's saying, you are blessed because you have seen and you have believed. That God has revealed it to you through the person of Jesus Christ. You have seen that I am the Messiah. Then you have said it. You have responded saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And you have said it. And he says, God has revealed it to you and you have grasped that reality. All these other people, they may have come close, but they didn't grasp the reality of the fact that he is the Messiah. Even though Simon had not seen evidence of the fact that that. All the things that he thought might come to fruition, all the things he might thought might happen by, by Jesus, the Messiah, delivering them from their enemies, even though he hasn't seen that, he still believes it. He still has this faith. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, not the son of a dead God, the son of a living God, the God that is still real, the God that is still present, the God that is still active and moving in our lives, the living God. He says, God has revealed it to you and you have grasped this. And it did not come from any human. It wasn't because somebody told you. It was because you had a personal interaction with the Messiah, with Jesus, and you believed it because God had revealed it to you and God had showed you who he was, that he was the Messiah through his son. It's like no human being could convince you of that. I think that some people are anxious for the preacher to... Um, to somehow save somebody when they bring them into church. So you know what? If I can just get them into church, maybe, maybe the, the, the pastor or the preacher will be able to say this or say that, and, and, and they'll be able to come to faith in Christ as a result of what they say. And, and I tell them all the time, there is nothing I can say, there is nothing I can do. It has to be the supernatural intervention of a holy God coming into somebody's life and just opening their eyes and opening their heart and then grasping that reality and hanging on to it and saying, this is real, this is who he really is. You see, people will watch online and, and, and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm sitting here in my living room and let me tell you something, that the, the Spirit of God is present in that living room. The Spirit of God is present where you are, and, and, and as this truth is revealed to you, you have this opportunity to grasp it and hang on to it as God has supernaturally revealed it to you. I can tell you from my own life, there would be many times I hear many, many sermons, and, and, and before I came to faith in Christ, they were just words. But it was like one day I, I was hearing these, these songs being sung, and, and, and I, God just spoke to me through those songs, and, and I came to faith in Christ through that, and it was... It was obviously this work of God that I could not put any words around. I said, this just has to be God. 
It has to be God rescuing me in this moment. He says, you didn't learn this from any human being. This is the second part. And, and a, lot of people, a lot of people like the first half of the second part. I will say that. Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Okay. People love that and say this is the church. And God built the church starting with Peter. Some people think that, and I believe incorrectly so, that, that, uh, that God was designated P- Peter in some special way to say, on you, Peter, the church will be built. And really the reality of what, what Jesus is saying here is that the church is the focus and not Peter. The church is the focus and not Peter because it says immediately after that, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. In your translation, it may say the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. And what is being said here is that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what devastation may come, no matter what evil may come into this world, the church will always stand. The church will always exist. There will not be an ending to the church. My word will continue to go out. The truth will continue to be poured out through the church, and that is his designated means through which God reveals himself, is through the church. And he says, you know what? No matter what, the church will stand. And I think in this day and time when people are wondering what's going to happen and will my church continue on and will they have enough money to survive and will this and will that, the church is not a building. The church is not lights. It is not musical instruments. The church is the people, and the church will continue no matter what happens to our economy, no matter what happens to your 401K, no matter what happens to your small business, the church will continue. And Jesus declares that right here, that it doesn't matter. Even the powers of hell, which seem to be extremely strong and extremely present in this world, even those powers can't stand against the church. It's not going to be destroyed. It will stand. And if you're wondering what's going to happen in the next weeks, months, what's going to happen to the church, what's going to happen to, uh, to my church, let me tell you, the people of God will continue on and there will always be a church. There will always be a mechanism through which God will reveal himself through the church. And then he goes on to say something which I find often overlooked, and maybe it's because it's a little confusing sounding. Maybe people look at this and they don't really grasp it, and therefore they kind of glaze over it a little bit. But in verse 19, this is what it says, and I, I, really, um, I really enjoy this here. He says to Peter, and I believe he's saying this to all the disciples that are there, and he's talking about the power that he has given them. And this gospel message that they will bring, the power that exists in that. He's talking about the church. He says the gates of hell will not stand against it. The powers of hell cannot even destroy the church. And he goes on to say that you have to understand how powerful this message is that I'm giving you. That you now have the responsibility to go and take forward. That you are to make disciples. 
You are to take what you know and what you believe to be true about Christ and go and make disciples. And he says this in verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now, I want you to understand the power of what Jesus is saying. He's talking about this gospel message, okay? He, said, he calls it the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Well, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the, the true thing that unlocks the kingdom of heaven, if you will, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality, the fact that he is the Messiah, he's the one that has come to save the world, the thing that Peter has just confessed. He says, okay, now I'm giving you the keys to that kingdom. So he's trying to say to them, I'm going to leave and I'm no longer going to be here to reveal the fact that I am the Messiah. Now I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom to go and take this gospel message to unlock the kingdom of heaven for people. To take this powerful message, the one that the, they can't even crush the church, even if the powers of hell come against it, to take those, that, that powerful message of the gospel of Jesus to unlock the kingdom of heaven. He says, whatever you forbid on earth would be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth would be permitted in heaven. And some, some versions say, whatever you bind on earth would be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth would be loosed in heaven. And what is being said here is that these are referring, this is, if a Jew were to hear this in this day and time, he would understand that this is like law, okay? That, it, that if something is forbidden, that, that it would be, it would be like lawfully forbidden and they would be unable to, to be able to change that. That it would be something that was, it was like it was set in stone, if you will. And, and if, it was, if it was permissible, if it was loosed, then, then, then it, it was given by the law to say you can do this. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples and the powerful message of this gospel is what he's saying to these disciples is that, you know what? I'm giving you permission to tell the world what the law really says. I'm giving you permission to say that this is permissible, that's not, this is good, that's not good. He said, I'm giving you the power to do what I've been teaching you guys all this time, to say this is okay, this is not. He said, I'm giving that power over to you through this gospel message. He says, I'm giving you over the power to be able to preach and teach this message of what is okay and what is not. He says, I'm trying to give you the, the truth that has come down from heaven and giving you the power to be able to teach this truth to the world. He says, I'm handing that over to you. With that, with that comes a tremendous amount of personal responsibility. I want you to think about the situation here for just a moment. You're talking to Jesus, the Messiah. And he's just fed, according to Matthew chapter 15, 4,000 men with seven loaves and a few, a few small fish. And, and it says in Matthew chapter 15, and the, probably on the same page that you're on, it says, the crowd was amazed. Those that hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking. The blind could see again. And they had seen Jesus at the hand of all of this. And Jesus has been telling them about the kingdom of God and what it is and what it is not. And he's trying to explain things to them and telling them truth like they'd never heard it before. Everything that they, they'd heard before in the nation of Israel and as the Pharisees and Sadducees have taught is, is just been 
turned upside down by what Jesus is saying. He's saying he's been teaching it a new way, and he's been talking about the heart and not what's external. He's talking about what's internal. And Jesus has been talking about all of this stuff. And then he looks at him. He says, who am I? Well, you're the Messiah. He says, okay. Good, you get that. Now you're the head of the church. You're part of the church. You're the one that's going to lead the church. What I'm handing you now is this gospel message. And you go and you take it. And if you believe that I am the Messiah, it's in your hands now. It's for you to take and tell people what is right and what is okay and what the word of God really says and to teach them what I have taught you. He's like, I'm taking the gospel. He's literally taking the gospel and saying, here, I'm putting it in your hands, disciples. Do you understand the tremendous amount of responsibility that is involved in that statement? What about for us? What about for us? We say that we're part of the church, right? Whether we're online or sitting here physically in seats, we say that we're part of the church. When is the last time you sat down and really contemplated and looked at the fact that God has given you the gospel, the truth that can set people free, that can unlock the kingdom of heaven for them, and you have, you have taken that physically from Jesus Christ who has given that over to you and has entrusted you with that gospel message and say, what have you done with that message? What have you done with that message? God has given us a tremendous amount of power. And with that power has come a tremendous amount of responsibility. I want to read to you from Psalm 101, another Psalm of David. And this is his response. This is his response to God. I will sing of your Lord and just of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile or vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I, I will do, have nothing to do with them. I will reject uh, perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house and liars to stay in my presence. My daily task will be to ferret out of the, the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. The question boils down to you. Do you believe first that he is the Messiah? Do you believe that the Son of Man is the Son of God? If you believe that, which there may be a thousand reasons why you can point to why you don't believe that, but it all boils down to one thing, and that is your faith. 
When you look around the world and you're pointing your finger at everything else in the world, that you say, well, this is the reason I don't believe and that's the reason I don't believe. It all, all boils down to what do you see and what do you believe and what do you know to be true? Because that will be revealed one day face to face with him. He gives this glorious opportunity for us to be able to choose him and believe that and have that faith while we're here on this earth. Because at that point in time, we're face to face with him. It will be too late. And if you are a believer, if you really believe that he is the Messiah and you have given him your whole heart and your whole life and say, you know what, God, everything that I have belongs to you. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. You are the owner of my soul and of my life. And he has given you this great gift of the gospel. What have you done with it? What have you done with this great thing that he has placed into your hands and into your control? What have you done with it? We can think of a thousand reasons why we haven't done much with it. We can blame this or blame that. I challenge you today, as you're looking at the world, as you're looking at the things going on in your life, to stop placing blame somewhere else and to look introspectively at yourself, to look at your own heart, to examine your own life and say, you know what? Let's stop putting the blame on somebody else and let's look at me. You know you better than anyone else except for God. Why don't you take some time to look at you? Why don't you take some time to look at how the things going on in the world impact you and your response to those things? Because the only person that's in control of what you do and how you respond is you. It's you. Let me pray. Father, Lord, my prayer today is for personal responsibility for us to take ownership of our lives and who we are and our faith. And God, there's some people that they don't believe in you. And maybe today, because you have revealed truth to them, maybe they said, you know what? As I take inventory of my life and what I truly believe, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. If that is what they believe, God, they can just pray to you, acknowledge who you are, acknowledge their sin, God, and you will rescue them and be the Lord of their life. I know that. I believe that with my whole heart. God, we can point fingers at everybody and everything for why we haven't done that up until this point. But right now, maybe your Holy Spirit is just impressed upon their hearts that Jesus is the Messiah. God, I pray that they would take hold of that truth and they would grasp it with everything that they have because it is life-saving truth. And then for Christians, believers, uh, people that have put their life into your hands and say it is no longer my life it is no longer me but it is Christ who lives in me God for them I pray that they would take inventory and they would take stock with what you have so preciously put into their hands and that is this gospel truth the same power that exists in heaven exists in our very hands and that is to take this truth this truth has the power to unlock the kingdom of heaven Lord what have we done with it what have we done with it personally God, I pray that we would take inventory of ourselves and of our lives. God, that your Holy Spirit would correct us and convict us and instruct us and love us. God, as we respond to you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name.